We are um, continuing our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, it's after the Psalms, Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one with you for free. They're on the back table with a little sign that says free Bibles. That's how you'll know which ones are the free Bibles. And um, so they're in the back. Just grab one. No questions asked. Or you can look on your handout. Um, the, the point, the, the book of Ecclesiastes is up there with like Revelation and Ezekiel in terms of books that we don't really know what to do with. Um, we don't really know what they're all about. But basically, the book of Ecclesiastes is about this guy, and his name is The Preacher. So I identify. And uh, The Preacher is on a mission. He's searching throughout the world for something that will bring satisfaction and meaning to his life, that will make his life matter. And he's looking, if you were here two weeks ago, he's looking under the sun. And basically that means he's looking at the world as it is. He's not looking at the world from a religious perspective at all. But he's saying the world as it is and the things that are in the world. Can anything in this world give me satisfaction? Is there an experience that I could have that would satisfy my soul? Could being wealthy, could being known, could having a family, could any of these things satisfy me? And I think that we can really identify with that, right? Because I think we're all, every day, what we're doing basically is trying to figure out something that's going to make us matter, that will make our lives matter. And so our series is called In Search Of. And so tonight, In Search Of Pleasure. The preacher is, is looking at pleasure and seeing if pleasure can be the thing that brings satisfaction to his life. There's been a lot of um, hubbub about Fifty Shades of Grey. And uh, I haven't seen the movie um, or read the book, so I don't really have an opinion on Fifty Shades of Grey. But it does seem to be that you know, at least one of the questions is, can getting sex in this very particular way that I want it, or giving someone sex in this very particular way that they want it, can that bring deep satisfaction and make my life matter, right? This search for satisfaction, especially in pleasure, is something that we all are doing. So join with me, if you would, in reading Ecclesiastes chapter 2, first 11 verses. And as we read here, I want you to notice how many different places The preacher is looking for pleasure. Okay? So let's have a look here. This is God's word from Ecclesiastes. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly Till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. A concubine is someone that you sleep with. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. 
Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask God's blessing on it. Uh, Father, we, uh, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that you love us enough to be honest with us, to meet us in our um, search for significance, and to be kind and patient with us. Lord, thank you that you've spoken to us through your word. Uh, we've read it, even a hard, confusing word. And Lord, that is enough uh, for you to work in us. But we ask that you would be with us by your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word that we might see Jesus and find significance and hope in him. We pray in his name. Amen. So tonight, what what I want to look at as we examine pleasure, getting pleasure, is you'll see on your handout there's an outline. I want to look at the folly of pleasure-seeking and the folly of pleasure-rejecting. Okay, we usually fall into one of these two camps. We're people that go all in searching for pleasure or we're the people that... We're not those people that do that, right? And I want to see if um, we can break out of either our pleasure-seeking or our pleasure-rejecting by looking at the pleasure of Jesus, okay? That's where we're going to go. So the folly of of pleasure-seeking. The preacher is looking for pleasure in a lot of different places here. Jokes, alcohol, architecture, art, nature, music, sex. A few of these you guys know really well. A few of these, maybe not so much. I don't know how many of you own many flocks and herds. Um, more than any who had been before you in Jerusalem, but uh, probably, probably not. Um, but he's looking for pleasure in all these places. Looking, if, if I had this pleasurable experience, will it satisfy me? And at the end of the, at the passage, he's pretty clear. He says, look, I, ha- I haven't kept anything from my eyes. Anything I saw that I wanted, and I was like, that looks like it's going to feel good, or I'm going to enjoy that. I went for it all the way. And at the end, he says, look, it's vanity. It's folly. This is kind of why it's hard to go verse by verse to the book of Ecclesiastes, because it's over and over again. He's like, it was vanity. It was folly. But he's saying, "I, I chased pleasure. And the word that he uses there for vanity brings to mind in Hebrew like a vapor. Like if you went outside right now, and you were to breathe, you know, you're, you would make a, a vapor, a mist, right? And it looks like something's really there, but of course there's nothing really there. There's nothing to grab onto. It was like a, a mist. It was like an illusion that you could find significance and pleasure. And of course, this is the problem with pleasure. Those of you that have, have sought out, really gone into pleasure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and find some meaning in life through this. You'll know that pleasure always over-promises and under-delivers. Pleasure is the thing that you look at and you go, that is going to fill me up. That's going to make me a whole person. But of course, it always under delivers. And part of the problem with pleasure, as we're going to see, is that if we seek pleasure for its own terms, if we try to say, look, pleasure is going to be the franchise quarterback, right? So you hear about football teams, right? There's players on a team, okay? But what you really want, is a franchise quarterback, right, to build your team around. Okay, I love Cameron Newton. Uh, I'm a big fan. The jury's a little bit out still, whether Cam is the franchise quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. But when you, put, when you make pleasure the thing that you're going to build your life around, 
it not only doesn't satisfy you, it makes it so that you can't have pleasure. Think about it like this. Um, alcohol. Okay, there's a couple of things in here that I think a lot of us are pretty familiar with. Alcohol, okay? Alcohol in the scripture, a good thing. Okay, wine gladdens the heart. Okay, even at one point Paul tells a, a guy, you should take a little wine for your stomach, you know, to help you feel better. Um, wine is a good thing. In heaven, people are drinking wine together. Jesus is like, I'm not going to drink this wine again until I'm with you in heaven, right? So wine is a good thing. Wine or alcohol can help you to loosen up, to enjoy the people around you, can really gladden your heart. Of course, if you are of age, considering that is the law, um, and God says, the law, I'm with that, I'm for that, so don't drink underage, um, can be a good thing. But if you're building your life around alcohol, and by that I mean you're building your social network around, you're the guy that's a really fun when you drink. Or you're the girl that's like the it girl at the party that can get really loosened up and have a great time. Um, then what will happen is not only will you need more and more alcohol to have fun, because you can't just get a little bit buzzed anymore. After a while, you've built up a tolerance, right? And you need more and more of the thing in order to enjoy it. But not only does that happen, um, you begin to not be able to enjoy your friends without getting drunk. Okay, Some of you guys know this all too well. Um, what helped you enjoy the people around you and what helped you enjoy your life, now suddenly you can't enjoy your life or enjoy your friends without it. And if there's something that you can't enjoy your life without, that's no longer a simple pleasure, my friends. That is an addiction, right? The thing that helped you enjoy your friends now alienates you from your friends. Now help, you can't enjoy your life without it. Um, unless you're, unless you're drunk or unless you're stoned, um, sex, sex is one of the most vulnerable, meaningful, intimate ways that you can connect with another human being. I'm assuming we all knew that. Um, well, you know, theoretically knew that. Um, but if you're building your life or your relationships around sex, around getting what you want from sex, Invariably, you will either use the person that you're sleeping with or you will be used by the person that you're sleeping with to help them get what it is that they want. Um, if, it, if you're using sex for its own end, for the mere pleasure of it, a thing that unites people in a, in a meaningful way that you can hardly put into words suddenly alienates people in a way that you never understood. It brings shame. The thing that you were supposed to be naked together and be vulnerable, suddenly when used for its own ends, you don't feel super vulnerable with another person. You feel ashamed. The thing, the thing that was supposed to help your relationship now makes it more awkward and distanced and complicated. Um, a guy that I read a lot for this, for this study because... Uh, of course, I totally get Ecclesiastes, but I figured I would take some other people's opinions as well. Um, there's a guy named Zach Eswine who's in my denomination. He has a great book on Ecclesiastes called Recovering Eden. But he, he kept quoting a woman named Carrie Cohen. And I don't know if, you've ever, if you guys know Carrie Cohen. She wrote a book called Loose Girl, um, Memoirs of Promiscuity. And uh, basically, Carrie was a, was, you know, she was a very promiscuous um, girl. And uh, she, she writes about, it's, it's very hard to read. I mean, it's, it's uh, just very raw and vulnerable. And uh, she says this. She's talking about remembering your exploits, your sexual exploits. 
For a man, this might be a pleasant trip down memory lane, counting up his conquests. But for a girl, it's a whole other story. I had let these men inside me, wanting that to make me matter to them, wanting it to make me matter. Sex cannot make you matter. Just because he seems to want to be with you more when you're giving it to him doesn't mean that it gives your life significance and wholeness and makes you matter. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not sexuality with another person. Maybe it's sexuality on your own, looking at uh, something on the computer that you're not supposed to look at. Any of you that know someone with a, with a pornography habit or have ever had one or currently have one, you'll know that... Um, like alcohol or like sex or anything else, you need more and more of it for it to thrill you still. People with, with uh, pornography habits invariably kind of go down a rabbit hole into a dark place and they're like, suddenly like, what am I even looking at anymore? They have to get more and more hardcore. Um, because just the original image that thrilled you doesn't do it for you after a while, of course. But there's all these studies about how a pornography habit can actually make it so that you can't enjoy sex with the person that you eventually marry. Okay? It sort of rewires your brain in that way. The thing that was thrilling you, this sexual moment, now makes you unable to enjoy sex. Seeking pleasure for its own end always destroys receiving pleasure. Um, it, maybe Okay, so that's, that's, a lot, that's heavy stuff, right? Um, but I was kind of caught when he was talking about gardens and nature and everything. Because most of you guys came to Appalachian because you want to have an adventure, okay? This is an adventure place, okay? I asked you, why did you come here? And you're like, I visited, and it was awesome. Granted, you probably didn't visit when it was like this outside. Um, but if you're, a, if you're an adventure seeker, okay? So you guys love adventure. You're like, my, I'm living for the weekend. I'm living for the big trip. I'm living for the camping trip. I'm living for the time where I can hike this place or go to this place. If you're living for adventure and you're building your life around adventuring, you will miss out on 90% of your life. If your life was like a road trip, seeing the sights is like 10% of the time. The other 90% of the time is being in the car with someone. That's a roommate. Ninety <laughs> percent of your life is just being in relationship with other people. And it's not an adventure. But if you're living for adventure, chasing adventure will teach your heart to be dissatisfied where you are 90% of the time. Okay? I go through all that to say, well... Uh, I was, I was affected by, okay, Sia, okay, Chandelier, we know the song, okay. You guys heard this Sia song, Chandelier? It's burning up the charts. Um, I'm not singing it, nor am I doing the dance um, from the video. Um, but I, I, I feel like she really put her finger on, an, on the nerve in, in the song Chandelier, because you, know, you just hear the, the chorus, and you're like, I'm going to swing from the chandelier, I'm going to live like tomorrow doesn't exist, you're like, yeah, this is a party anthem. Um, but if you read the lyrics, she's really putting her, her finger on a pulse because she's basically talking about partying and getting drunk and sex as a way to escape from the shame that she's getting from partying and drinking and sex, really. Um, so, you know, if you know the words, party girls don't get hurt. Some of you guys can probably identify with that. Party guys don't get hurt, too. Can't feel anything. When will I learn? I push it down, push it down. I'm the one for a good time call. 
My phone's blowing up, ringing my doorbell. I feel the love. I feel the love. Sun is up. I'm a mess. Got to get out now. Got to run from this. Here comes the shame. Here comes the shame. One, two, three. One, two, three. Drink. One, two, three. One, two, three. Throw them back till I lose count. Chasing pleasure will not satisfy your soul and will keep you from actually enjoying things, from having pleasure. And now, okay, so maybe you're the person, right now you're either the person that you're like, well, I don't do anything of those things, so I'm good. The next part's going to be kind of sad for you. Um, <laughs> or, or you're here and maybe you're not a Christian or you're not really sure where you are on this thing, and I can't say it enough how thrilled we are that you're here if that's you. And maybe you're like, okay, I've been to these religious things, so you're like, pleasure, bad, and don't do those things, and that's what's going to make you happy. Um, Not so fast, um, my friend. Uh, Not only is there folly and pleasure-seeking, there's also folly and pleasure-rejecting. Rejecting pleasure can also be a way to to not satisfy your soul. Often people assume that this is what, what religion is about, right? Okay, there's fun things, and I get part of this religious experience, and then it tells me not to do the fun things anymore that I like to do before, and now I replace it with praying and fellowshipping. Um, uh, the preacher, actually, in the next chapter of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3 and, and at the end of chapter 3 especially, tries that. He tries being like the wise, responsible person that doesn't do those things. And at the end of it, you know what he says? Look. The lazy person that doesn't have self-control in their life and like the really responsible person that takes control of their life, the same thing happens to both of them. They both die. And why did I waste my time being so wise and self-controlled when I could have been enjoying my life? Um, But some religious systems do work like that. They say avoid the pleasures of life and you'll be happy. Um, But the, the Bible is actually pretty high on pleasure. The theological sort of statement that I hold to is something called the Westminster Confession. But the, the first question, there's a question and answer section. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? Which is like, what is the meaning of your life? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, but what I want us to see here is that the person that's seeking pleasure is trying to take their own satisfaction and meaning of their life in their own hands and to achieve it by getting pleasure But the person that rejects pleasure, that says, I'm not doing those things, is often doing the very same thing. Trying to find satisfaction and meaning without God. This is what I mean. Um, There is a basic principle of human behavior that I'm going to drop on you right now. And I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. Okay? I don't usually say stuff like that. Okay, are you ready? This is the key to understanding human behavior. People do what they want. Okay? You're like, yeah. Um, All the time. Every time someone makes a decision to do something or not do something, it's because they want to do that. Never settle for someone telling you, I did that, but I didn't want to. They're lying. Um... The only reason why any of us do things is because we want to do them. You either indulge your desire because you want to be happy and whole through pleasure, or you don't indulge your desire because you want to be happy and whole through not being the person that does those things. Okay? 
Are you following me with that? Um, both the pleasure seeker and the pleasure rejecter are both saying, what I do or don't do makes me significant. Whether I do this thing or don't do it, that's what makes me significant. Uh, Tim Keller um, has a book called Prodigal God. We have it on the book table. You can check it out or buy it. You should, you should take it. He talks about the parable of the prodigal son, which maybe you've heard. It's a story that Jesus tells about a guy who has two sons. The one goes away. He takes his father's inheritance and says, I wish you were dead. Give me the money that you owe me. And he goes and he squanders it with prostitutes and drinking. He has an older son at home. And the older son stays there. And he's angry at his father. One hates his father and manifests the hatred of his father by being really, really bad. And one hates his father and manifests this hatred of his father by being really, really good. Either way, they're both saying, God isn't my satisfaction. The father isn't my satisfaction. What I do is... Um, a, good, a really good friend of mine, um, who I really respect because she uh, she never had a sexual experience before she was married, and um, and I, I respect her for that. And of course, that's what I want for my own children. That's what I want for you guys, um, for you guys to go into a marriage uh, with sexual wholeness. Um, if you if you have messed up, uh, Jesus is here to give you grace. Um, the only reason anyone gets into a marriage clean is because of Jesus, not because of your sexual record. But um, she, had, she had never ha- had any sexual uh, sort of misstep, barely even kissed a boy. And I remember talking to her, and in a really um, open moment, she was like, you know, the reason why I didn't do that stuff wasn't because I, like, loved God so much. Um, She's like, the reason I didn't do that stuff wasn't even because I, like, for my future husband. It wasn't even to, like, avoid getting an STD or getting pregnant. She's like, the reason I I did that stuff is because I couldn't bear the thought of being that girl. Um, The moral high ground and the ability to say, I'm not one of those, was what kept her from having sex. Um... She used her relationship with sexual pleasure as a means to satisfy herself and give herself significance. Because she said, I am significant if I don't sleep around. That's what gives me significance. Whether you do it or you don't, that's what is giving you significance. And, and look, um, even the person that uses pleasure rightly. Okay, so we'll stay on sex. Some of you guys are married. I'm married. Um, even the person that the couple that has loving marital sexual relation and uses sex rightly and good to build up the other person and to connect with someone in a beautiful life-giving way, even that really, really good thing cannot satisfy you. I see you guys like look at the people that are married and you're just like this derision of like, you're getting this thing that's giving your soul joy that I don't have. And they're like, uh... A little awkward still. Um, <laughs> sex is good, but it cannot give ultimate satisfaction to your life. On the front of your passage, and in front of your handout is another passage from Ecclesiastes. But not in the front, in the underneath the passage we read. This is my one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It is also probably the most depressing thing that you're going to read all day. Okay. Um, so I didn't mean to put 7 through 10, just 9, nine and 10. Okay, you guys ready? Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. That sounds good. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. 
Because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work, or thought, or knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol, to which you are going. Sheol means death. Enjoy your, the wife of your youth. Enjoy all the pleasures of life, because you're going to die. And it's all going to be over. Sex is a good thing. It's not the franchise quarterback. Um, People do what they want. You do what you want every time. You are either chasing satisfaction as a way to make yourself happy or you're you're rejecting satisfaction as a way to set yourself apart as the person that doesn't do that. Because that matters more. You see what I'm saying? That matters more to you. So imagine, I've used this example before. Imagine I had a roach. And I was like, you will eat this roach. And you're like, I'm not going to eat that roach. I don't want to eat that roach. I'm like, you're, gonna, you're a coward. Okay? You're a coward. And you think that this roach is too disgusting. Okay? How dare you? Who do you think you are? You, you should eat this roach. You're like, I'm not going to eat that. And you're like, you're a despicable person. Okay? If you take the roach and eat it, did you want to eat the roach? You want Okay, no, you didn't want to eat the roach, of course. So, but I can see where you're going. Um, you wanted to prove to me that you couldn't be beat, right? So you ate the roach. People do what they want to do. My question for you is whether you're seeking pleasure and chasing that or rejecting pleasure is how much is that costing you? You, you can always tell what someone loves by how much they, how much they spend to get it. Like um, the guy that gives up all of his friends to be with a girl. Okay? Probably most of us know this guy or this girl. Not this particular guy. Um, I give up all my friends, but I have three daughters, so I have friends. Um, <laughs> what? How about the girl that sacrifices her grades in order to be accepted by hard-partying friends? Something that makes me the saddest is when I hear someone... Someone that, something that makes me sad is when someone tells me, I just can't have a good time unless I'm stoned or high. I just can't... I can't even seem to relax enough to have a good time. The thing that makes me even sadder than that is when someone, someone tells me, I'm friends with all the people I'm friends with because we get drunk or we get stoned together. That is so sad. People should love you and want to be your friend because you're you. Not because you do something together. Um, So what about the girl that she sacrifices her grades for the acceptance of her partying friends? What about the guy that loses opportunities to share Jesus with people because he has to show people that he's the fun guy that gets hammered all the time? Um, a girl, but, but, so then imagine this, some of you guys know this person, a girl that literally can't enjoy social settings because she has to prove to everyone around her that she's not like them. She doesn't do the things that they do. People do what they want all the time, but how much is it costing you? Okay. So that, that's the, this, that's the bad news. Okay. So we can't be satisfied through seeking pleasure. But we can't be satisfied by rejecting pleasure because both of them are ways to fulfill ourselves, right? 
So what do we do? What's the answer? Uh, I, I think it's by looking at the pleasure of Jesus. And this is the last thing I want to look at together. This might be a weird question, but what gives Jesus pleasure? What do you think that Jesus wants? Where does Jesus derive pleasure? Look at verse 10 with me again. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Has anyone ever told you that you are what Jesus desires? I had the opportunity to have this great conversation with a friend earlier. If you can tell what someone loves by what they will give up to get it, this is what Jesus gave up to have you. Nothing was too much for Jesus to give up to have you. He gave up the advantages of being God. He gave up all his comforts. He gave up the riches that he had in heaven. He gave up his safety, his life, his relationship with the Father, which meant everything to him. He set it all aside because nothing was too much to give up to have you. He was the man. If you ever heard him tell the story and he says the kingdom of God is like a a man who's working in a field and he finds this treasure in a field. Have you heard this one? This man finds a treasure in a field and he's like, oh man, this is awesome. So what he does, the passage says, is he goes and he sells everything that he owns. Okay? Everything that he has, he sells it. And it says, then in his joy, he went and he bought that field so that he could own the treasure. Jesus is the man who found you and then in his joy went and sold everything that he had so that he could have you, you guys are so wracked with anxiety about whether you love Jesus enough, those of you that are Christians. Whether, you're, whether your pleasures are in the right place, whether you're feeling it enough, whether you're having enough quiet time, whether you're sharing the gospel or being nicer, or whether you're not doing the things that you just, you're like, i got to stop doing those things. And you miss the reality That Jesus is crazy about you. And there's, it was not asking too much for him to give up everything for you. You are Jesus' pleasure. Okay? And now what he does, he says, you're my pleasure. Come be with me and I will teach you how to daily enjoy life. Um... You know, the hard thing for me when thinking about this book is like, I can't come to the end of these passages and go, this is like a nice, neat way for me to tie this up for you and fix this problem. Okay? Because the reality is everyone in this room is going to walk out of here and continue to try to find satisfaction and significance through getting pleasure. Okay? That is going to happen, including myself. But all I can do is hope by the Spirit to begin to give us something else in the back of our mind. That Jesus sees us as his treasure. So, you don't have to be the one that's really fun at a party. 
if you're Jesus' treasure. You don't have to be someone who uses other people to get what they want sexually or allows themselves to be used sexually to, get, to, to matter to someone else if you're Jesus' treasure. Um, you don't have to chase an adventure for significance if you're Jesus' treasure. And you don't have to prove you're good enough to be, because you're Jesus' pleasure. And my challenge for you is in a small way, and maybe in even a way that seems insignificant to everyone else, can you begin to step away from that thing that you're using to tell yourself that you matter and ask Jesus to bend your heart to believing that you are his treasure. Happiness is not found in indulging or abstaining from pleasure. It's found in Jesus who makes us his treasure. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that when you found us, We were poor, pitiable, wretched, filthy, Lord, and even dead. And when you laid eyes on us, you said, I'll pay anything. Lord, would you just plant that seed in our hearts? We struggle. Bend our hearts back to you. We thank you. Amen.